Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Justin, and we are back with the first episode of the new year, episode 13 of Survival of the Artist podcast. And today, my special guest is Kristen Gray. What up, Kristen? Brother from another mother. <laughs> what's going on, man? I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to get Kristen on here because it's been a, a couple of months in the making. And the last time I spoke to you, we had some crazy good chemistry uh, just talking about uh, being people who grew up in the church and the funny things that only we can relate to. Um, yeah. That a lot of younger artists that I've interviewed, and this is not to call you old because we're around the same age, but a lot of younger artists I interview, they have no idea. These yeah. these, uh, these people born in like 1998 and beyond. But uh, I know they missed out, man. Yeah, they missed they missed out on a lot of on a lot of um, craziness that only we we can understand but anyway i'm excited to have Kristen on here because he has been in the game for a minute and he has been successful and he has been through many i guess many phases of your career um and his latest album is called clear the air so i want to get that out of the way and it's air h-e-i-r um so yeah Kristen, welcome to the podcast man man thanks for having me had a fun conversation talking about that album and talking about the the, the glory days during the CBN network <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's funny I had a chance to go to Virginia I did a show with KB this was a while ago mm-hmm. and um, uh, Christian Broadcasting Network was there and um, I told them that I wanted to do the new intro for Superbook <laughs> and if they, ever, if they ever bring that show back and, we're, and then we never talked about it ever again so I guess they declined but they're, they they, they probably didn't even know what you were talking about at this point. <laughs> it was on their network. All bro. these all these all the new people that probably work there. They're like, what what is what is he talking about? They're like, what is this? Like, oh, only one of the first animes to come to America, but <laughs> nobody knew about it because it was Christian. And then Pokemon stole the concept. All right, what are we talking about, bro? <laughs> Everyone, Google it and and to and to know what we're talking about for his album, you can check th- those out on Rapzilla. I'll drop a link, but. My first question for you, and I hope you can answer this question. Who are you, what do you do, and what is your claim to fame? Yeah, you might have to tell me what the last one. So, um, I'm Kristen Gray, so like a girl's name, Kristen. Not to be confused with Fifty Shades character, um, (laughs) even though we have a lot of similarities, namely the billionaire status. Um, Nothing else. (laughs) Um... And the second question is, what do I do? Yeah, what, I what do you do? I, I, I'm a recording artist. I have been in the music industry, working in the business now for about seven years. Um, and before that, just a bunch of lead-up stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, It's been a wild ride. Um, I'm also a worship leader at my church mm-hmm. um, in Mason, Ohio. Shout out to Christ Church. Um, and... I'm a father and a husband and uh, a friend to some, a foe to others. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I guess what else? I'm a designer. That's, that's what I went to school for as a uh, graphic designer. Worked in that industry for about 12 years. Wow. So yeah, man, I'm I'm like a, a jack of some trades, I guess, if you will. A jack of all artists, of all artistry. Sing, rap. Yeah, like graphic yeah, design. I love art. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've been talked about picking up martial arts recently, <laughs> but I had a bad Achilles tear. Um, oh, man. Yeah, in November. So I don't know if I'm jumping straight into martial arts. Might just have to watch some Bruce Leroy or something like yeah, that. You can, you can study it. You can, you can be like the, how there's, how there's, you know, you have a baseball player, but then you have the broadcasters and immediately you can tell the difference. You, you can be the, the martial arts broadcaster, you know, all about the game. You just, you, you, just you just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that's, we call it executive producing. I love to do that with the music too. But, um, claim to fame. Um, I don't know. I guess there's been a couple things that have gotten me out there. Um, I say, you know, when it all started for me was doing a lot of work with, um, with Lecrae, mm-hmm. um, reach records and working a lot with them, a lot with them. Um, and then that kind of spawned into me <clears throat> being able to have some, some success on, on my own, just, uh, with some of my releases. Right. I've worked with a lot of people, bro. I mean, from, from Cray in the hip hop space to Kirk Franklin in the gospel space to, you know, a lot of people in the CCM space. Um, Christian music has been a big passion of mine. So I think that there's, we have a, a, a certain idea of fame mm-hmm. within this community. Um, but outside of the Christian music arena, um, I've had some success also either on the billboard charts or right, right. songs like stop me that have continued to get placed in major motion pictures. And God is just doing his thing, man. He's, he's taking me some places and it's been all for his glory. So, I mean, how, how long did it take you to get to where you are now to where you feel like, and maybe you didn't reach that point yet where you feel like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm exactly where I want to be, but you know, how long did it take you to get here? Um, I'll say, like I said, maybe the past seven years, I've been making music now since I was 11 and I'm 32. Wow. So, um, and I was actually like really in it. I mean, we, we had record deal offers when I was 18. So we were technically around the music industry for a while, but to really get here, I got to say it's been a seven year stint and we're, we're entering into the seventh year now so okay yeah according according to uh to you know wikipedia you have been you have been um doing it since 2006 but i guess for you doing it means like a professional level of well, high say, quality i signed my first record deal how about that i signed my first record deal okay in 2012 okay you see what i mean so, so for you, that's that seventh year. yeah. So for you, that's yeah. when it became like a business. Like this is your almost like your career. Yeah, it's like uh, I mean, you know, it's like getting in the NBA or the NFL, like that league, right? Right, right. That's when for a lot of people they see the career starting. My career in professional music, the professional music business would have started in. Uh, 2012 but before that yeah there's tons bro like tons of things that happened before then albums and stuff that i put out Mm -hmm. um i worked a lot with my brother taylor we had a group for about eight years we we released an album that did very well regionally um we we yeah i mean i come from music 
So I think I just don't want to scare people and thinking like, hey, just in case you're thinking about getting into this, plan out the next 25 years of your life. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I don't want to say that, but seven years within the professional music industry, do I feel like that's how long it took for me to actually okay. get to um, a good place, not only because of accolades, but just because of who I've become as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a better place now than I was before, you know, like before this journey started. So I, yeah, it's, it's been a good ride. Yeah. You, you said, um, you know, you started making music when you were 11. So I'm going to ask you because I know what I was doing when I was 11 and wanted to make music was you pull out a little microphone on a little karaoke machine or something for the, with, with the cassette right, tape, with the cassette tape. That's, and look, bro. Yeah, go ahead. Go, <laughs> go ahead. Get it. Get it. So, so what I would do is this, this is before, you know, logic or, mm-hmm. or pro tools or anything was in my possession. So, and, um, I didn't even have a computer. So I was taking the cassette tape, right. Mm-hmm. Putting it in the karaoke machine, pressing record, making some drums. Right. Then I would take the cassette tape out after I did my drum loop for about five minutes. Cause you had to play everything through. Right. I right. couldn't do a loop. So I played drums for five minutes on the keyboard, took the tape out. You get another tape, put it in the other side of the karaoke, and you start to record over what you just did. They call that dubbing. So I would do that, and then I'll switch the tapes right back and forth until I had 16 tracks. And that's how I used to record songs and put my vocals on and everything. Needless to say, the mix mix was... uh, was interesting to say the least but you you know what i'm talking about bro like i know karaoke you're talking machine about. recording yeah it's it's funny you so you basically did like the the beatles method of recording where they had two tracks to work with and they just kept dubbing over everything or four tracks to work that with. was it and uh, that was it and, and if you messed up you had to start over yeah that's why there's like 800 takes of every song um you could find of theirs online but i mean you were you were more advanced than me because i just went straight over I'm just making the songs. I would I would make part twos of Christian songs that were already out. So oh wow! I would do like I would do like like Jesus Freak Part Two, and it would be awful. Oh, it is awful. Do you still have them? Uh, I'm sure they're somewhere. I I hope I don't find them. Um, <laughs> Man, if I could find those tapes, bro. You know, because we moved and all this stuff. Like you just don't yeah. know when you're doing it when you're 11, mm-hmm. right? You you just you're trying to figure out how to do it. But now, like if I could reach back and hear some of those ideas and concepts, oh, bro, it would it would do me good. Yeah, but I, yeah, bro, you just took me way back. Yeah, I I have a bunch of recordings from my bands like in high school, and basically we would just turn the microphones on, and you know, not mic anything, but everything would be mic'd in through those two mics, the drums, the guitars, the vocals, and then we would record our band practices and our new songs. Those I still have. I I, I don't want to say that I still have my 11-year-old um, Toby Mac impersonations uh, for, for part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. I've got some stuff I'm glad I won't, I won't probably yeah, find again too. Black, about that. It's blackmail material for sure. But so now, <laughs> so now that we took that little trip, because I, I had a Thanks, feeling bro. I had a feeling you'd be there with me, so that I went on that little yep. tangent because I knew it would be worth it. Um, Anytime, so, bro. So you've ten got, years later, t- ten years later. So you you've gone through these these many waves as an artist. You kind of said that you started with the 
the elevationist, you did your indie stuff, you've done your sign stuff, you did the We Live as King stuff. So how do you think these periods kind of affected your artistry as you shifted through each one? That's a great question. So the elevationist was a, a safe place to really not have to think about much mm-hmm. because, you know, we kind of were just free falling. You know, we didn't have much direction. Um, mm-hmm. My father had a lot of say because he was in the music business. Um, so he would hear our songs and tell us if they were good or not. But other than that, man, we were, we had about, there were three of us and we would sit down, turn this beat on that somebody made or one of us made and we yeah. would just write to it and just go perform, bro. Um, so it was, we had a nice eight years of just pure artist expression where, where nobody told us, you know, how to structure our songs or how to reach a certain demographic. Mm-hmm. We were just trying stuff and we were taking our cues from a lot of people in the Christian space. We were listening to cross movement. We were listening to tunnel rats. Yeah. We were listening to, you know, on the secular side and mainstream, we were listening to Jay Z. We were listening to common most deaf. So we were kind of creating our own version of all this stuff meshed together. Right. Right. We had a live band that would travel everywhere with us. So we, we really got to express when I got signed, or right before I got signed, it was uh, it was it was tough because I didn't plan to break up with the Elevationist. It was never in my plans. I wanted to take this all the way. Right. But um, the music business will do that to you. You know, you get three guys together who have the same dream, and then you find out that you know only one or two of them can actually play the game per se. Yeah. And yeah. then everybody, you know, tries to figure out if this is going to be it's going to work for them or you know whatever. For us, it was not going to be something that um the other two members my brother included would be able to keep up with so i said okay we're done and i'm going to just make a record of my own and so we created even with people with me me and my buddy marlo and um Mm -hmm. from transitioning from doing primarily hip-hop into this wave where i started you know if if anybody ever listens to even with people with me they'll hear me singing like a Doobie Brothers style record on the first song called Flamingo. It was my chance to really dig deeper within myself and just be who I am. A part of myself I hadn't wasn't able to express. Right. Then you sign the collision and you're working specifically with a hip hop label. So they want everything that you do to kind of fit within this scheme of hip hop. I was the only singer on the record label. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So we played with that, you know, out of that came the, we live as Kings album where I don't rap much on it. Um, because we needed that guy to be the hook line singer. And that was also around the time where I was showing up on a lot of reaches releases, Triple E, Andy Minio, Lecrae, Tadashi, you know, anybody, right. you name it. You like became it that like, hook guy. So I, I became that guy, but I was very, dedicated to retaining the place that I just got to in my life where I felt comfortable exploring all of my sides as a rapper or a singer producer. So that's why I made body art as a mixtape. Then you move forward and that turns into school of roses. That's when I met my business partner and five-year friend shabby who I affectionately call Tom George. Sometimes we've been together since then. And that was the first time I actually was able to, um, feel like I was being 100% authentic in my craft, but also learn about the business, learn about songwriting, learn about how to make hits and what to do it for. And out of that catalog is what creates stuff like Stop Me. 
Right. So, you know, it took a while to get to a point where I was, I mean, I wouldn't say pliable. I think I've always been pliable, but to a point where I found someone worth trusting with every aspect of my craft. Right. Someone who had, who shared, I guess, the same vision and goal as you did and that you knew yeah, was going to, was like, going to help you cultivate that the way you want it to be. You know, I'll, I'll try to make this quick, but you know how people can make the comparisons between Michael Jordan and LeBron James, right? Like right. that's a thing. and. MJ had Phil Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Right. He, he had Doug Collins before that, and Doug Collins was a good coach, but Phil Jackson was kind of the guy who molded, helped him mold that team, along with Kobe. You know, mm-hmm. Phil Jackson is what he did. LeBron never had one of those guys, right? He had, you know, Mike Brown. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and then Spolstra. Eric Spolstra. Yeah, like these aren't, these aren't guides. So you've had to watch what it looked like. If that's what my career looked like, much more like LeBron's, where I didn't have that person. I didn't have a. We talk about my friend Brian Rice sometimes around here. B. Rice from Nashville. He had Toby Mack. You know what I mean? There mm-hmm. were there were people who were able to work directly with legends to start off. I didn't have that, so I had to kind of navigate my way to figure out what was right and what was wrong, and it right. was coming out in song form, in album form, in collaboration form. Shabby was a guy who I, I compare him to Rick Rubin. He's very well versed in the industry. He's killed it in the mainstream and Christian for years, bro. He's just one of those silent giants that people don't know what to do yeah, with because they yeah. either don't know who he is or they know who he is. They don't know what to do with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, I mean, after, you know, you've just said all that. So what do you, if anything, miss most about being indie and being on that grind? Um, well, I guess if I miss anything about it, I'll miss the control, some of the control. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got signed for to a major, see, because Collision was an indie record, so it was still right. the indie grind. So now you're when talking I got about For Your Soul, major, right? Yeah, because that was that was a direct sign to For Your Soul and RCA. So I ended up working with RCA for three years, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's a there's this idea of we mentioned the Beatles earlier, and the Beatles right. were putting out a song every month. Mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to put out more music. So things like that, I miss the control. I miss the ability to you know, be able to just put things out of my own pace primarily. It took a long time to put Clear the Air out. Um, you know, we yeah. haven't, I would, I would probably have put out three more singles since then. So much like being on the wrong team, when you get to the NBA, you've worked very hard yeah. to get to this place. And now you're trying to navigate how to get out of it, but you don't completely want to leave. Like, you know, LeBron didn't like being on the Cavs. He didn't want to leave the NBA right, and go right. play for the big three. I mean, they didn't exist, but you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. they, he just wanted to find the right team on that level. And for some people they do, they find it, but very rarely, bro. We got a lot of people out here in the music business, a lot of artists, a lot of athletes, a lot of actors, who don't find that safe place and we are watching their journey of discovery through their entire career. Right. So for me, yeah, I kind of miss that, that aspect of it. 
but but now so but now how about on on the other side like there's so many artists and especially nowadays everyone's like oh I don't want to sign a record deal I don't want to you know give my rights away or you know whatever the money side of it but some people like that's their goal like that's the way to go for them so for you why was this record deal the way for you to go why was that route chosen uh I'll give you a couple quick examples um so we'll talk about stop me first stop me um we didn't have really any record label support on that song making it to where it did Mm -hmm. um i was grateful to have a a really good meeting with the sony sync shop last time i was in new york for their promotion for clear the air and i met a team of about 12 people who have all been involved with the success of stop me in some way shape or form whether they were getting the calls from espn or whether they were you know pitching to Matt and one of the guys is the one who kind of shared it with the team at, at uh, EA sports and you know, stuff like that. But this train left the station way before that. And that started again on a very personal level. Now being signed to a record deal does help you make more money when you, when you're in those negotiations, right. for instance, if ESPN wants to pick up your song or if Honda wants to pick up your song or whoever, if you are not signed, it's very easy for them to just say, here's no money and we're going to play your song on our commercial because what artist who's indie is going to turn that down? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like major exposure. They're playing your stuff on ESPN, but when they see RCA Sony behind the name of the artist, they already know they have to pay and the record label definitely cashes in on that. Mm -hmm. So they made the negotiations a lot of times at the record label and we would a lot of times sign what we call an MFN. I'm giving you real stuff right here. Give me the real. A lot of people real. probably will listen and maybe not even know or care to hear, but it's the real. MFN stands for Most Favored Nation. So it means whatever the record label would negotiate for how much they were going to charge for the master for a song like Stop Me in order for a company to use, then the people who own the publishing, in this sense, I own 100% of my publishing. Nice. Those people, we would, we would, we would make the same amount that the record label has negotiated for. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'll just, I'll throw out a, 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 I'll just throw out a number. Let's say that they negotiated sixty grand, right, for for a TV commercial. Well, we'll make sixty grand too. Whoever wrote the song, you can't negotiate like that on a lot of levels when you're an indie artist. Mm-hmm. It's being able to kind of ride that train. Now I wanted it for that reason. And also for the idea of the right type of promotion and exposure, radio stations, terrestrial radio, not streaming radio stations are still the main point of contact for people's introduction to the the hit music on the, you know, in, in our culture, Taylor Swift, Drake, you know, Cardi B, um, anybody, Bruno Mars, right. Pop artists, they're right, still right. ending up on the top 40 radio where they are being forced into people's ear gates. And that is a music industry usually associated with a record label 10 times out of 10 deal. You don't see many, any artists, if at all, ending up on the radio. And I wanted to, you know, hold my music up to that standard and go for the gusto. Right. It, it makes sense because it's almost like... it. I would imagine it, it kind of challenges you creatively. Like you see these people on the radio and you're like, I could make music just as good or better than them. Why should nobody hear it? 
or you know not the maximum amount of people that can hear it hear it it exposed me to two things that i was missing one i was missing the confidence in myself okay and mm-hmm. you know we can talk about that later or never uh your choice <laughs> but it, it it exposed me to that lack of confidence that i had in myself and it also exposed me to my need for help from other people who actually knew what they were doing right so those can go hand in hand because a lot of artists hear mainstream music and say, oh, I can make something that's just as good or better. And it's like, maybe you can, but how? Right. Are you going to do it by yourself? You right. know, or are you just, just going to wing it? Because that wasn't how I was able to do it. And I know I have more talent than most people I've met, but I still <laughs> needed help. And I didn't yeah. know that then. So, yeah, it exposed me to that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good segue because the next question I had was about your music placements. Like specifically, you know, your your major ones have been on ESPN. I know you've been on ESPN too during the playoffs when you, you rapped live on there. So Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually created that show with ESPN. Yeah. And ran it as a test. Um, we, we titled it and everything. That was something else that, I mean, working with Shabby has been a joy because he understands every aspect of entertainment. He used to work for Much Music in okay. Toronto. Yeah, Much Music is pretty much like Toronto's or Canada's MTV, and um, so he already knew how to how to finagle this part of you know being a feature on that show. It was more than just do a verse for the playoffs. It was what do we name this? And we came up with Vocal Point, ESPN's Vocal Point. So you know. My my first placement that I remember outside of that was a really big one. When We Live As Kings came out, I remember getting the call from Fox that they wanted to use a song Swoop and I did together at the Super Bowl. Wow. They wanted to use it for um, an American Idol commercial, and they ran it about six times during the Super Bowl. It was the coolest thing in the world. You know, everybody's watching TV during the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I'm sitting there over at some party watching them play. I forget who was playing that year. It was a terrible Super Bowl year, but I didn't care because I want everybody to see that American Idol commercial so I can sit there and look cool. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny? Like, like, I'm like, is that, is that you? Uh, like, yeah, man. As impressive as that is to get to get you know play during the Super Bowl for a commercial to air six times during the Super Bowl, how impressive is the amount of money that they had to dish out to pay for that commercial slot? I can only yeah, imagine. Yeah. You know, Unfortunately, at that time, I was uh, I was in a different place, so I, I didn't see much of that check. <laughs> no, I know, I know you you didn't, but I'm just thinking like, wow, how much? You probably how much, had this conversation a lot sooner. How much? How much did the Fox spend just to get you on a Super Bowl commercial? Hey, that's dope. No, bro, it, uh, it's just it was a quick, I think, just kind of a quick alley oop from God to just say like, you know, don't worry, I know you've been through a lot of garbage, but you, you were right. I gave you something for the world to hear. This is just a small taste. Just keep doing it. You yeah. know, and I remember that every time I watch Stop Me or, you know, now the new one from Clear the Air is Time Out. I'm watching Time that. Out. That's already just, it's just silently made its way up to number 11 on the hot CHR charts, um, which Great. is um, contemporary hit radio. So stations like Boost and stuff like that, who mm-hmm. are iHeart stations, who are starting to play that, that mix of music, they're running that. You know what I mean? Ended up on the Beast Mode playlist on Spotify. I'm like, okay, here we go again. Now I know what to expect. We can actually create 
from the same formula, glorify God with it. Because that was the biggest part of Stop Me, right? It wasn't that it was one of my songs on a Rampage movie trailer. It was that I'm talking about Jesus on it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's overt. So it's a big, you know, we're bringing back the coolness of Christianity again, like you and I saw when we were younger. Right. Right. Nobody now looks back at how cool it was, but we know. Um, <laughs> we know. I mean, we'll just we have to give it to to the millennials and and everyone after. We we're, we we got to do that, bro. That's we we uh we can have our our own like '90s church uh, nostalgia podcast that we could come up. <laughs> co- me and you could co-host it. <laughs> I told you, bro. You, you can just get you a red blazer, and slick your hair back, and you'll just be the new Carmen. <sighs> Man, I'll I'll pass. I'll leave that one to you. You've got more talent than me. You could take that. At, at Yo, least he could. Shy. At least, at least he could sing. So I mean, that's that's all you. <laughs> yeah, man. Carmen was like, he was like the Michael Jackson of of the Christian music era, bro. Like he was but, Elvis. He was no, like our Elvis. Seriously, no. I I would say Michael Jackson because of his production value in his music videos, and and the music like this. This guy was dropping seven seven eight minute movie music videos. Who else was doing that? You, Michael Jackson. I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Michael bro. Jackson like, had everybody. Thriller. And he had Satan Bite the Dust. <laughs> no more monsters. <laughs> Whatever he's got. It's in there, man. Oh, man. Yeah, bro. All right. That, that's a different podcast. We'll save that for later. So, um, okay. All right. I'll so, be on that one, too. That, that one's being created with you. We're doing that one together. So, <laughs> going, going, going through all that. Um, what what would you say thus far, looking back at your career, do you feel your biggest success is so far? My biggest success, um, or or at least your, uh, your biggest uh, rock star moment, where you're just like, yo, like I did it, like this is it. Um, this is gonna sound kind of strange because it's it's fairly recent, mm-hmm. but. Clear the Air was a big success for me because it was it pushed everybody's boundaries. Right. It pushed my boundaries. And it didn't push my boundaries to do something that I didn't want to do. Um, you know, working with Collision, I had to do a lot of what they wanted me to do. So it was that was fun, right? School of Roses. Yeah. I yeah. would say School of Roses was was a I did it moment, but I did it for everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, clear the air. I did it for me. And it was the first time I sat back and said, Oh wow. Like there were people who wanted me to, to talk more about, um, to get in on this racial injustice discussion. Right. And, you know, make a claim for black people in modern day music. That's like a trend now. Right. It's just, yeah, yeah. You know, ever since the Kendricks and stuff started doing it, ever since, you know, people started standing up to Trump, it's like, yeah, get in on this and talk about your blackness. And I'm like, nah, I'm cool. Instead, I'm just going to get predominantly white features on this album. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whether it's Tim McTagg from Under Oath or, you know, Andy Hall from Manchester Orchestra or, or Brian Rice. Like, that was completely unexpected. But that's me, bro. Mm-hmm. Like a, a nod to the '90s on Secrets and Grow Up. That is Kristen Gray. That is who I am, 
and then writing another stop me. Like that was so fun to push those boundaries. Now, I don't think we've seen that coming to fruition yet, but neither did we see that when I dropped the Glory album or School of Roses. You don't you never know what guys gonna do with it till after. Right. So I have to say my biggest like relief moment of relief and most confident I've ever felt when I put a release out, felt successful was clear the air because I was like, man, I finally did it. I, I made an album that I can trust that is really honest about who I am, that glorifies Jesus, and that doesn't care anything about what anybody or the record wants. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you were super open. The record label, I meant. You, you were super open and honest on it. And like you said, you just did what you wanted. You didn't, like everyone gave you those expectations of, he's got to talk about his his blackness. He's got to talk about this. He's got to do this sort of style. And you're like, nah, I'm just, I'm just making my opus, you know, my masterpiece of a record. Um, that's it, bro. So that I, was it. I think that's awesome. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead a question and then come back. So I was going to ask you to talk about the album and you started talking about it. So I'll throw it to you this way. Like what would be your best elevator pitch to kind of be like, this is why you need to hear clear the air. Um, elevator pitch for clear the air. I would say, um, clear the air is something that every Christian needs to listen to. Um, so that they can be, so that they can be reminded of how to be human again. Mm -hmm. And to remember that it's okay to be a Christian. All right. There there you go. And I, I, I would yeah. I would add to it too, just from our conversation last time and listening to the record a bunch, that it's okay to be a Christian and admit your faults. Um Yeah. Because Yeah, I mean perfect. that that's the thin line. That's that's it. That was the humanity aspect of mm -hmm. it. Like I don't think a lot of Christians admit their faults because they they get into this like self righteous legalistic just bubble, bro. And mm -hmm. they, they forget that they are human beings that embody the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Right. Like they have, we, we are, we're not perfect. We have this body that is decaying every day. And if you're going to tell your journey to somebody, then they should hear about what they're going to see. And if we remember that about ourselves, then I think it'll be easier for us to approach this the right way. So this album does that. So now jumping back, we, we talked about success. So for you, and actually this works because I said faults, what would, looking back at your career, what do you think is your biggest failure or something that you wish that you could have done differently or better as far as, you know, your, your music career? Um, I, you know, I guess I would say that I treated some people very poorly mm -hmm. during transitions. Um, you know, when I left collision, uh, that was a really rough time for me. Okay. And, you know, I was, uh, I was treated poorly. So I became very upset and I think my ego just went through the roof and I treated people poorly relationships that may have been able to be salvaged. I just didn't care. Um, you know, my coping 
the way I coped with it. You know, I've talked about it in interviews. I've right. talked about it in my music. And I treated people poorly. And it put me at an odd place by the time I was done with the Glory album when I was lead, leading into my divorce where I didn't really know who I was anymore. I didn't know who I had become. I didn't know that guy. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that I would have um, considered other people a little bit more that I would have not made it so much about myself, even though I tried not to do that on the surface. That was really what was going on internally. And just the mere fact that this is a story that people, the people who will see it now, I think they'll see glory and they'll see redemption. The people who were a part of that though, you know, I pray for them because they saw me in a very dark place and I affected them in in very bad ways. Yeah. That would be what I would say about, be my biggest failure was just making this about myself stepping away from God and feeling like I had to do this on my own mm-hmm. yeah man yeah, I pre- that was tough I appreciate that honesty um, so now let's let's bring it up a little bit well we can bring it up a lot of bit that all depends on you but what's what's next for Kristen Gray, like what what is in the pipeline that you can actually talk about, um, and and I guess give people the anticipation of what's coming. Um, you know, bro, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna be honest with you, and it's it's the greatest feeling in the world. I have no idea, but I know it's a lot, bro, a lot. Um, a lot of music will be out this year. Um, I plan to tour in the summer, late spring. Awesome. Um, Coming to New York, I hope, maybe? Of course, bro. Okay. Of course. All right. Of course. You know, you'll you'll hear about it. I'll just, I'll just text you tickets and oh. a date. Ooh. I like, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, bro. And, um, you know, I'm working really closely with my church. The church is on fire. And I'm glad to be here at this time, I mean, they were, they, they really were instrumental in a lot of my recovery. Mm-hmm. I got to give that back. Um, this is going to sound kind of deep, but you said you want to go up. So I'm going to take you all the way up, bro. Take me all the way up. Uh, Let's go. I prayed about this and I felt like God, I felt God ask me um, if I wanted to, you know, just, just go full speed ahead right now. Like a, I felt like I had a, a decent landing last year and he asked me, did I want to just, you know, go right back up, you know, continue on the journey, start touring, um, put out a gang of music, all this stuff. Like, do I just want to keep that momentum or do I want to slow things down? And I felt like Solomon. I felt like God gave me a choice. Like give me anything you want right now, mm-hmm. or I'll give you whatever you want. Just tell me, just ask me. And I told him, that I wanted to be closer to him and I wanted more communion with him and I wanted deeper friendships and I wanted, you know, to be a better father. And I just got married, you know, like I want to be a better husband. I want mm-hmm. communion is what I want. And I felt like that's what he's given me access to, bro. What that's going to turn into from a music standpoint, I think it's going to be life changing for myself oh, and I for bet. everybody else, bro. I bet. Because it's basically you 
at at the peak of your powers as far as far as like happiness and connection to where to exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah, and I mean this is a safe place to say this. We can reference it later. Um but I'm looking I'm waiting for Grow Up to end up on the radio mm-hmm. and um and Timeout's gonna win a Grammy. Hey. Hey. Yeah. I, I hope so, man. And I told you Grow Up is like one of my favorite songs the second I heard it. I went back. It it took me back, which we've been doing a lot of. um, And I was like, yes, this is everything I needed right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it's, yes, it's going to be a good year. I'm working with some other people. I believe um, it, man. Some other artists and stuff. I've got too much to pour out. I mean, I dropped Clear the Air, and then over the next month, I wrote about 18 songs. Oh, man. Within that month. So, the stuff that's in there, like in my head, it's ready to go. It's just no rush, right? Like this is the start of the year. Mm-hmm. The CHH space is still in shambles. You know, Christian music as a whole is going in some different directions. And I think God has, has stepped foot in, in in this industry and said, okay, for all the people who are claiming to know me, let me give you a new agenda. And I just want to listen to them this year. Okay. Yeah, I dig it, man. And and I'm going to ask you the final question, and this is the question that I end every interview with. So for you, in your mind, what is the key to the survival of the artist in 2019? The key to the survival of the artist in 2019 um, would be know yourself and know God. It's nice and simple. Take it easy. And, and you're, the, you're the first one that I interview in 2019. So you're starting it off. That's amazing. That, that's how well, you start you know, it if that's off. Not the, if, if that's not anybody else's answer, you can just tell them, like, actually, you know, per my discussion with Kristen Gray, this is the correct answer. So I'm going to ask you again. <laughs> and then, you know, just we'll uh, make that the tagline. Uh, I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to change your answer. Um, and if not, we're going to end this interview right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. hit I just so, hit like a buzzer button. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Try yeah, again. Yeah, you just you're like, would you like to try again? But they're like, yeah, like but, what do you mean? That's what it is. This is my career. <laughs> <laughs> no, it ain't. <laughs> and then if they don't get it right, buzz them again and play a sound bite of me giving the answer. Oh good. So, na- be good. so now this became like a radio show, a morning show. Let's, the let's morning do it, bro. Survival of the artist morning show with Kristen Gray. Where there's only one sound clip played the entire time, just so you stay in focus. <laughs> you got it, bro. All right, man. But that's a wrap. Thank you for your time. Thank you for making this work. I look forward to getting um, those texted tickets. Um, and uh, don't be a stranger, man. If anything, I won't. If, you got my number. Lock me in. This was Kristen Gray on the survival of the artist. Check out Clear the Air. It's everywhere that you can get it online. Um, and that's it, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me, bro. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right. Special shout out to Kristen Gray. As you can see, uh, him and I have some really good conversations. Lots of respect for each other. Uh, lots of things we have in common, even though we're in two totally different spaces. But uh, anyway, again, check out Clear the Air. It's one of the best albums that dropped in 2018. Um, and don't forget... I launched a Patreon 
last month when I dropped the Poetics episode. I want to add more shows to this. I want the podcast to grow bigger and and provide you guys with more content. But I kind of need the help on Patreon. Kind of that push to show me that, you know, what I'm doing is not in vain. But I got a lot of good stuff coming. I appreciate you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin, S-A-R-A-C-H-I-K, Justin Sarachik on Twitter. Keep up to date what I'm doing. Uh, Jay Sarachik on Instagram. And that's it, man. This was episode 13 of Survival of the Artist podcast. It's good to be back after a little break. 2019, here we go. Peace.